You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as the family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. It's 2021. There's no flying cars. I'm disappointed still. Um, yeah. Anybody watch the Jetsons as a kid? Yeah. Just ruined it for us. So it's 2021, though I would admittingly say it doesn't really feel like much of a change, right? Every year we do this big thing and, you know, we always celebrate on New Year's Eve. Everybody usually does. And we watch the ball drop. Anybody first time watching the ball drop super disappointed? Yeah, me, I totally imagined a ball dropping and like smashing like lights and fireworks. And instead it was this just slow, I was like, this is lame. Anyway, um, We always do this big celebration to mark one year to the next. And really in our hearts and in our minds, it's supposed to kind of gear us up for something. But in the world we've been living in, hasn't it been hard to kind of make that change? To really feel like things are going to be different when actually they kind of feel a little bit worse right now? I mean, really, more people than... So in the last nine months of COVID-19... We've known some people within our community, just a few really, that have contracted it or that have been around people who have been exposed to it. But lately, there's been quite a few. (laughs) And it feels almost worse than it was. And so we're coming into 2021, and I think that there's an easy place for us to be just discouraged. Maybe, you know, our words aren't trying to say that, but inside, it's an easy place to find yourself just going, is anything going to be different? And so I want to talk a little bit about that today and want to talk about this idea of soul training. And and we're just using this term. It actually comes from a couple of books that we use uh, in some of our classes that we've done with discipleship courses and our discipleship uh, gap year program that we've done. And uh, I forget the names of the books, actually. Oh, the Good and Beautiful series is what they're called. And they talk about this idea of soul training in there. And I love this, this thinking because it's really in the Bible. It doesn't use that wording. Uh, and in the Bible, it uses a different word that I just don't like, so I just, we decided to change it. Disciplines. Everybody like disciplines in their life? Not really, right? That makes you feel like, oh, this is hard. But the truth is, it is hard. Life is Hard. And we have to realize that, admit it, and actually embrace it. You know, um, I was thinking this morning, I wanted to start with James 1. And James 1 uh, is just a letter to the Christians of the day. And in verse 2, he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Like, thanks, James. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Listen. Christianity, following God, living the life of purpose that God has called us to live, does not come easy and it does not come without work. It's hard. Living in this world in the midst of a pandemic, it's hard. And in fact, James says, and consider it an opportunity for great joy. But then he says this thing. He says, why? Because your endurance has a chance to grow. But then he says this, so let it grow. You also have a chance to just complain. To not grow in the process of hardships. To not see God do something amidst difficulties and struggles. We have, a, we have a choice one way or the other. Regardless of the circumstance, pandemics, loss, tragedy, difficulty. It does not matter the circumstance of our life. Life has always been hard. We're just in a collective hard at the moment. And we have this idea that says, so let it grow. And I think there's something really amazing about endurance. And the endurance that they're talking about, thankfully, isn't just one of fitness, right? Paul even writes this, I believe it's in Corinthians. He says, yes, physical training is good, but spiritual training is even better. So we're supposed to be training our lives training our hearts and our souls 
to line up with what God's designed us to be. It takes work. Anybody here trained for anything ever? It takes time. It takes effort. And I'll tell you this, if, if you wanted to be good at something, you probably wouldn't only spend an hour to an hour and a half on it a week, i.e. going to church. If this is the only training you have in your life or tuning in online for 90 minutes, if that's the only training you have, you're probably not going to be very well trained. You're not going to be ready when hardships come. You know, Jesus unfortunately promised, he says, listen, in this world you will have troubles, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. We are promised troubles and difficulty. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. What should happen in the midst of it is us growing. We're called to grow regardless of the circumstance. You know, it's kind of a, a bane of all of our existences, but isn't it incredible when a blade of grass or a dandelion forces its way through a blacktop or concrete? You know, this happens all the time, right? You're like, how does this thing grow in this spot? Slowly, with pressure, it forces its way to the surface. And the truth is the same about our lives spiritually. And so this month, this next five, six weeks, we're going to be talking about soul training. We want to talk about these very practical things that Jesus talks about in Scripture that literally train us to have endurance for when hardships come. You know, um, anybody ever read, uh, oh gosh, I just forgot the name of the darn website. It's, oh, it's like, you know the B, what is it there? Help me. It's a satire website or satire. BabylonB.com. Okay, or Babylon B. It's, it's sometimes bad, but sometimes funny. Most of the time funny. And they wrote this article, and it was like 2020 has been agreed as the worst year ever, unless you've lived in any other time period. And then they go through and list this ridiculous things that everyone has lived through in every time period. World war and, and, and honestly real disease and real illness and hunger and water, uh, you know, droughts and all of, you know, black plagues and all of this horrible stuff. Like, just they list it all through these time periods and they're like, yeah, this is the reality of life on earth. There's hardships no matter when we live. I just think, We've lived comfortably for about the last 60, 70 years. And in essence, when we live so comfortably, all we do is we end up living lives that try to make it even more comfortable and easier and quicker. And so we literally train the opposite. How can something be easier in life instead of harder? And then all of a sudden something comes into our life and it doesn't just have to be a pandemic. I'm not just talking about COVID. But something shocking takes place. Something hard happens. Some tragedy takes place and we're shocked by the difficulty of life because in essence we've had a mindset that things should be easy. We come to Christianity and we have this incredible building and Honestly, we've made it better every year. We got new chairs and new carpet, and we just put AC in. Like, come on, we're making it comfortable. And now I love comfortability. But imagine if none of this was here. No worship team. No lights. No comfy seats. No AC. What does your walk with God look like then? What does your relationship with Jesus look like when all of those things are stripped away? Because at the base of it all, that's what's most important. Our relationship with God. And so Jesus kind of comes in, you know, on the scene in Matthew. And I want to start reading there. And this is where we're going to start with this soul training idea. That we should be people trained in our souls and in our hearts that no matter what adversity comes, we're still standing. In fact, um, Charlie Sweet, I'm going to read this before I jump in. Charlie Sweet sent me a text this morning. 
And he just wanted to, he says this, I saw this today and felt to pass it on to you. He goes, we live by the Jupiter Lighthouse. It has stood for centuries and guided ships from crashing into the reefs. I felt to say NTC, no matter where it's located, is a lighthouse of hope. Because it's not one lighthouse, it's all the people who are individual lighthouses for their neighborhoods, families, and so much more. Storms will come, and some will be stronger than others. No matter how bad the waves crashing in on you, stay in faith. Stay in the storm and be a great light to others. You're going into a season where you're about to experience breakthrough after breakthrough because you went through what didn't break you. If we want to be light in this world, which if you were just here a couple weeks ago on the Christmas Sunday, I talked about light in the darkness, how God has called us to be that light. If we want to be light, it means we have to be able to shine when there is darkness, when things are hard, when things are difficult. When things get difficult, we don't put the basket over the lamp, like the, like the story in Matthew. We don't hide the light that God's put within us. And so sometimes, though, we find ourselves meeting adversity and not being up for the challenge. Has anybody ever, actually I shouldn't say has anybody, I'll tell you, you've all done this. When you watch a sports game and you criticize the players, but you're at home on the couch. Or the coach. And you're like, oh, if he would have just done this. Oh, how did he miss that catch? You would have made it? I wouldn't have made it 15 yards. We're able to look from a distance at times, but the truth is when we meet that adversity, most of the time it's hard for us to stand up to it because we aren't trained properly. And so when difficulty comes or tragedy comes, we, we struggle and, and it's hard. And, and I'm not saying there isn't struggles. Man, I've been through millions of them. But there should be a place where we can stand up taller, where we can remember what we trained for and press on. And so soul training, this spiritual training in our lives is extremely important. And that's why we're doing these just little practical things. Let's read scriptures here. Let's read the whole New Testament through this year. Let's memorize some of these scriptures that should be in our heads so that when adversity comes, instead of a lie coming and taking its place in our mind, a, a verse and a scripture comes and takes the place of truth and speaks truth to us instead of a lie that we might believe. And so training, it's extremely important. And as we were coming into this new year, I just, we just felt really like we have to get back to just the, Let's, what's most important here, guys? Man, any minute, right? Close the doors. You can't come. So what? Shrug our shoulders at that because that doesn't make us a church. Coming here on Sunday doesn't make us a church. Who we are and what God's doing through us is what makes us the body of Christ. And so we need to be prepared for anything. So again, soul training, super important. Let's start Matthew 6. That was just my preface. <laughs> so Matthew 6, um, obviously, so listen, we're here at the Sermon on the Mount. The entire Sermon on the Mount is some of the most practical stuff that Jesus speaks directly to about our lives as Christians. So we're going to start in Matthew 6, and I'm just going to actually read the first 16 verses, and then I'm going to focus on one part um, and we're going to talk about these for subsequent weeks. So, all right, uh, verse 1, chapter 6. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly. To be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, I literally can't read my own. Okay, I'm just telling you why I'm struggling, okay? This is my life. My kids get a hold of my Bible. That's not me being excited. <laughs> I'm like, oh gosh, I can't read this. Um, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. 
I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, do, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. And when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. This, is, this verse blows my mind. It really does. Let's just think of the irony of about what's to take place, and I'll come back to it. He says, don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him, pray like this. And this is where he introduces the Our Father prayer. The previous scripture said this. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Then he introduces the Our Father prayer, and what do we do with that prayer? We repeat it again and again. I'm like, what? What happened? How did we miss the two scriptures before that? So Jesus gives us this prayer, the Our Father, which I love, but it's, it's, it's like a structure. It's a breakdown of how we're supposed to pray. It's not the words we're supposed to say over and over. Again, let me just jump to this with prayer. We're going to have a whole other sermon on this, but prayer is talking to somebody. Imagine if your conversation with someone was the same thing every single time. You looking to spend time with that person? You're like, oh, great. He's calling again. I wonder what he's going to say. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be. Now, I'm making a joke, but this is for real. We're talking to a living being. This is the God of the universe. And he's, yes, Jesus gives us this breakdown of a prayer, but it's not meant to be repeated again and again. Why? Scripture just said so. Don't do it. But take heart for what it says, which we're going to do a teaching on it. But we'll keep going. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Verse 14, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father, who knows what you do in private, and your father who sees everything will reward you. Now he's going, he goes on and on. He talks about giving next. He talks about possessions and, and where we put our, our trust really. But I want to stop here in, in those first 16 verses. In the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about fasting and prayer. And this week, I want to focus on fasting. Because I really think in Christianity, if you spend any time around Christianity, this one gets a little twisted. A little misunderstood. Um, really because of one verse that I, that I hesitate to really talk about because... Yeah, I don't want to actually go there too much. But there's a scripture that, you know, actually I'll tell the story. I'm going to do it anyway. So you know the story where uh, Jesus is up on the mountain and he's praying. And it says the disciples are down waiting for him. And a father brings a boy who, uh, who they believe had epilepsy, but they pray for him for a demon to leave him, right? And so they can't do it. It doesn't work. And Jesus comes down from the mountain. They say, hey, you know, Rabbi, this, this, this. This demon won't come out. We prayed it won't work. Why won't it work? And Jesus says, you know, Jesus prays for him and it comes out. Okay, so this healing takes place. This deliverance thing takes place. And then in scripture, and actually I'll just say this. In some scripture, it's recorded this way. This one does not come out but by prayer and fasting. So what has happened because that verse now, I don't want to get into the whole Bible. I do not want to teach this morning about 
the understanding of the transliterations of the Bible. But that verse is not the same in every scroll that has been found throughout history. And so there is now debate over that scripture and whether it's supposed to wholly be there. Basically, the part that they believe could be added just afterwards was and fasting. But what's happened because we've read that scripture in Christianity, we've turned fasting into some sort of leverage tool. We think, oh, if I fast, I somehow become more spiritual and more powerful, and then God will do his work. Or if I fast, then God's going to hear me better. If I fast, then God's going to show up in this very difficult situation, and it becomes a lever for us rather than what it was actually meant to be. And that is, I'm just going to blatantly say this, it is not a lever for you to use. Actually, none of these things are tools to get God to react a certain way for us. The tools are actually for us to change. Fasting doesn't change God. It changes you. Prayer doesn't actually change God. It changes you. Now it's a conversation and there's a lot in that. But really, those things are for us. And so when we talk about fasting, the first thing I want to say is, we can't come to fasting thinking, I'm going to be more spiritual because I fasted. Now, if you're wondering what fasting is, and maybe you don't know, real blatantly, this is what it is. It's not eating food, okay? Now, we've turned it into some different things in years, like, oh, I'm just going to give up something. I'm going to give up uh, electronics for a week. That's not actually what it means. You're just giving up electronics for a week. That's fine. Good. Do that. But fasting literally speaks of giving up food, okay? So in the Bible, fasting has existed for a very, very long time. And we're going to jump back to that in a minute. But I want to go a little bit further to a couple more scriptures to hear what Jesus says about fasting. So he's saying this, when you fast, which just implies that you will fast at some point, right? Like when you fast, he's teaching his followers, when you fast, don't do it this way. Don't do it for this reason. Do it for a certain other reason. Okay? So now let's jump to Matthew 9, a few chapters later. Matthew 9, this story kind of takes place, uh, verse 14, where the Pharisees are coming to him, and they're kind of challenging him on things. And it starts here. It says this, One day the disciples of John the Baptist, actually this isn't even the Pharisees, this is the disciples of John the Baptist. So some of John the Baptist's disciples were following Jesus, but they weren't really used to how Jesus was. And so they're kind of challenging him in this moment, and they say this, One day the disciples of John the Baptist come to Jesus and asked him, Why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? So Jesus replies, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. And then he goes on to an interesting description here. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. So Jesus answers this question. They, they basically come, and this is what's going on. Jesus and his followers are viewed as irreligious. Okay? They're not religious enough for the religious people. And so they're always nitpicking things. In fact, the story just before that they had, they had basically condemned his followers for picking grains off of a head of wheat and eating it on Sunday and calling that work. And you worked on the Sabbath. So they were always nitpicking things. And so they come and said, why don't you fast like we do? And Jesus' response to this is very interesting. And actually, he, he brings it to one side of why historically fasting was a thing. And he says this, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? So fasting in the Old Testament was actually a sign of mourning, a sign of loss. And 
it was more a natural reaction than a choice. Think about it. Has anybody ever lost anybody they loved? Most of us aren't hungry at that moment. Something happens within us and you actually begin to fast. It's not necessarily on purpose or with some spiritual decision behind it, but because of mourning and loss and pain within us, we lose this hunger for food and we're just, we're just there. We're in this place of mourning. And I love actually, I love this scenario. And I'm going to kind of give you the, the quick reason. Why do we fast? Answer it real quick. Because it builds our relationship with a God we need to rely on. And so in the midst of mourning, what more, what better thing than to remember how much we need Jesus? In the midst of mourning and loss and, and asking those questions of why and how could this be, what better than to be reminded that the God of the universe is with us in the middle of it? Because you see, fasting, and I'm, I'm just giving it away now, we're going to talk about scripturally why. Fasting builds our relationship with God in the most important way. Because the most important thing for us to remember about our relationship is that we need it. Is that we are actually desperate humans in need of a God. In need of Jesus and what he's done. The thing about Christian or the thing about Westerners and Americans is we don't want to need anybody. We can do it on our own. No one can tell us what to do. But you see, that's really the opposite of following Christ. Following Christ literally means to put our reliance in Him wholly in every way. And fasting, when we take away, and this is why it's this like rudimentary reminder, you take away the one thing or one of the one things that sustains your body living literally, and it helps to remind us how much we need Jesus to live spiritually. So we give up this food and we stop eating for a little while, and what's the first thing that happens? You get hungry. In, in today's world, you start scrolling through Facebook, and that's when you see everybody else's food. <laughs> and you have this, this desire for this thing you now don't have. And we become hungry for something we need to live. And in a Christian's world, when we get hungry in that way, it's supposed to remind us we're supposed to be hungry for God. We're supposed to have a hunger in our spirits for God. Just as much as we hunger for food and nourishment and sustenance in our life, we should have the same hunger for God in our lives. And in fact, knowing that if we neglect to, in a sense, consume the relationship we need with God, we will die spiritually just like we'll die physically without food. It's a reminder for us. It's not a leverage to control God. It's us saying, I want to be reminded, and I'm going to be so purposeful to be reminded of my need for God, I'm going to give up food for a period. That's why we always put fasting and prayer together. It's why the Bible always puts fasting and prayer together. Because fasting gives up your, your in a sense, um, need of this physical world, and then prayer brings you into this relationship with God and reminds you of how much you need him. This is the intent of fasting. And so when Jesus says, his answer to them, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? You want to know why they didn't need to fast? They were with Jesus literally. He's right there. They didn't need to be reminded. They were reminded every day. I'm like, I'd like that. Literally walking with Jesus, being reminded of my need for him, and they were living in a way none of us do wandering about a country with no food and barely any money and no place to stay. I mean, some people would come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. This was one of his responses. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Interpretation? I'm homeless. Want to join me? Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place. He was homeless. He lived... Jesus modeling a complete reliance on his father in this world. 
So much so that he just said, I'll just go wherever he tells me to go. I only do what the Father says. I only say what the Father says. Jesus modeled reliance. And so when they said, why aren't you fasting? He says, they don't need to right now because they're with me. Jesus is the groom in the story. But he says, but when I go, when the groom leaves, then they'll fast. Because they'll want to be reminded. They'll want to remember me. They'll want to remember the need for me in their life. Matthew 4, let's jump back. I love Jesus always models something, never tells us to do something he doesn't do himself. Matthew 4, this is after Jesus' baptism. Says the heavens split open, voice from heaven says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And then chapter 4 starts, and then it says this, right from that moment of his baptism, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. That should mess up some of your theology. It messes up mine. I can't wrap my head around it. Jesus, Son of God, just gets baptized, and then it says he's led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God to be tempted. I don't get it. But what I know is this. Even Jesus was tempted. Even Jesus faced hardships. But you want to know how he prepares for it? It says during that, or then it says this, for 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. I would assume so. 40 days. Yeah, wow. I know a few people that have done that for real. It, it wasn't me. Probably never will be. 40 days and 40 nights he fasted. You see, that wasn't the temptation part. That was the preparation part. That was the training part. So even Jesus uses this moment in the wilderness and he gives up all of his you know, physical sustenance to rely on God and then the devil comes and tempts him, right? The devil comes and says, I'll give you this and why don't you do this and why don't, why don't I do this? And Jesus says no to him over and over. The reason he resists the enemy in his life is because he's prepared through fasting and prayer with his father. You want to resist the enemy in your life? Train a little bit for it. Train a little bit for it. You want to be able to stand up when hardships come? Get ready for it. Have some endurance so that when it hits you, you're ready. You're standing. You're strong. Because you've trained knowing adversity will come in your life. Jesus knew adversity would come. He starts his ministry with 40 days of fasting. I want to jump down in verse 1 through 4, right? It says this. So during that time, the devil came and said to him, verse 3, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. So the first temptation, right, is he's just saying, well, if you're the Son of God, you can turn these stones right into bread, and then you can eat. Why are you not eating? And Jesus says this. No, the Scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the scripture that describes what fasting is for us. If we're spiritual beings as much as we are physical beings, then we have to, we have to train that spiritual side of us. And Jesus says, listen, you don't live by bread alone. Meaning the food we eat is not going to sustain your spiritual life with God. But it will be by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So you know what's awesome here is Jesus is reciting the Old Testament. He's reciting something that as a Jewish boy he would have had to have memorized. It's in Deuteronomy 8. You can turn there if you want to, if you have your Bible. We'll probably put something on the screen. Deuteronomy 8. So Deuteronomy is literally um, just, it just means the second reading of the law. So they read the law, but then basically what happened? A bunch of people forgot it. 
New generations were raised up as the Israelites were still going through the wilderness and they had forgotten the law. And so this was a second reading of the law, a second declaration of it. And so in Deuteronomy 8, this, this happens. It says, be careful to obey all the commands I am giving you today. This is from God to them. Then you will live and multiply and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember how the Lord God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So Jesus was quoting this scripture from this story. And this whole part of Deuteronomy is a reminder to the people. So if you don't know the Israelite story, they were led out of Egypt. You know, they took some belongings as they went, and they started this 40-year journey, which doesn't sound fun to me, and they didn't have enough food, and they didn't have enough water, but God provided over and over in miraculous ways, and the one way that he provided for food was he would put manna on the ground. We don't really know what it was, but the idea was that this thing would show up on the ground in the morning, they could eat all they wanted during the day, and they couldn't store any at night, and if they did, it turned into worms. And it was this, re- this symbolic And training moment for the Israelites to realize that every day they needed to come to God for what they needed. And it should be a reminder for us the same. Every day we need to come to God for what we need in our life. I believe that means physically, but also spiritually. We have to come to him on a daily basis. And this was a training moment, and and Moses is is reminding them, this was him training and humbling you. Like, I I don't want to talk about that, but Jesus humbles us, doesn't he? Because mostly we are full of pride, thinking we can do this thing on our own, and most of us fail, I'm thing meaning life, most of us fail miserably at it. But with God, he has incredible purpose and plans for us. And this is a training moment for us. It was a training moment for them. And then he says, rather we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And then he says this, for all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord God disciplines you for your own good. Now, if you look up that word disciplines, which just sounds terrible, you want to know what it means? To teach. To teach. See, we've taken the word discipline and we've equated it with punishment. But it's not actually what discipline discipline meant to teach, to train, to help. And actually, further down in the description, it says to mold. And I believe 2020, 2021, in fact, all of our lives should be molding moments for God. In 2020, when adversity has come for the whole world, I think we have two choices, just like James says. I think one, we could sit by our side and complain about how difficult things is, or we could say, let it grow. Let my endurance grow, Jesus. I want this moment to mold me. I want it to change me. I want it to to build me up. I want it to train me to be the human being that you've designed me to be, God. I think that's the attitude we're supposed to go into this year with. Regardless of what we come against, regardless of how long we're still in the same pandemic rules or how long the vaccine takes to come out or who's the president or who's not the president, I don't care. At the end of the day, is Jesus growing within us or not? Is his endurance and his light shining from us or not? And as Christians, that's what we need to be laser focused on. Let it grow. Let it grow. Anybody ever seen the Lorax? Have you seen the kids movie, the Lorax? Okay, listen, my whole life is kids movies, all right? And at the end of the Lorax, um, 
you know, they, they've got this seed of this tree. And they go to the middle of the town and there's these, you know, bad guys trying to stop them from planting this tree. And they end up ripping up this concrete area and they plant the tree. And the whole, the whole movie ends with them singing this song, Let It Grow, Let It Grow. And I actually love, I mean, I know it's just a kid's movie, but I love the symbolism of the idea that no matter where we plant a seed, if we let it, it will grow. You see, seeds, they they take some, some nourishment and they take some work, but honestly, they're very hardy things. And I believe the seeds of God's life within us are extremely hardy if we just water them a tiny bit, if we just pay attention to them a little bit, if we just let them do what they're supposed to do in our lives just a little bit, it will grow within us. And so as we do these little practical things as a church, hey, let's read together. It's not just for us to say, hey, you know, we're supposed to read the Bible, so let's do it. No, this is supposed to cultivate the the spirit and the life of God within us. It's meant to change us, to, to grow within us, to be, to bring us to be what God's called us to be. So let it grow. Let it grow. I wrote in your notes, fasting isn't some sort of spiritual leverage to get God to listen more, but more a practice, a soul training to remind us of our need for Jesus in our relationship with him. And so when we practice fasting on Wednesdays, these next three Wednesdays, as we take this time, it's meant for us to say, God, I want to focus on you today. I want to remember today what you've done for me. I want to remember how much I need you. I want to remember what you're doing within me. And so that's why we want to encourage you, join us Just in the next three weeks, we're just picking three days. You can pick as much or as little as you want. Pick a meal if you can only do a meal. Set aside one meal and take some time and just hear from God. Listen to some worship music. Say, God, I need you. That's the simplest and best prayer. Jesus, I need you. I start almost every day that way. I get in the shower. I get in the car and I, Jesus, I need you today. It reminds me more than anything that no matter what I'm going to go through that day or who I'm going to be around, that I need to remember how much I need Jesus in my life. That's what fasting and prayer should do for us. It should change our mindset. It should bring our focus back to him. And I believe it's going to cause something to grow within us this year. I really believe we're supposed to somehow... I guess I'm picturing it in this way. It's like 2020, if you picture it in the the terms of some sort of, you know, sport game of something. It's like we all showed up to play the game and we're not prepared for how difficult the adversary was going to be. Maybe we're just at halftime. We're in the locker room right now and we're saying, uh, are we going to lose? Or are we going to win? Are we going to step it up? Are we going to train more? Are we going to do what we're called to do to see God do something incredible in the world around us? I think that's what he has for 2021. I don't care how long this pandemic lasts. I believe God is going to do something incredible in this year that he's never done before. We've seen God work incredible ways in 2020. All of our plans went out the window and he gave us new ones. Churches being planted. Churches being given to us. God is working. Are we able in the midst of adversity to keep working with him? Let's do some training together these next five weeks. Can we do that? Can we stand this morning? I'm going to pray and we're going to do communion. Um, If you didn't get your communion cup, you you can grab it now. Um, I think if someone needs gluten-free, Jason does have that. He's uh, just back here in the corner. He's going to be up front at this side if you did want a gluten-free wafer, whatever this is inside this cup. I know these are, I'm just going to be honest, these are the worst things ever. 
But Jesus, we're doing it for you. So you got to peel this like clear one off the top first if you're here. And that is the little, <laughs> I don't even know what it's made of. I'm sorry, I'm making this so irreverent, aren't I? Um, so we're going to turn to Luke 22. So again, I, I, I've been talking a lot about communion. Jesus does this at his last supper with his friends. And he gives this cup and he gives the bread to them. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. And if you've been around here at all, I've talked so much about the reality that it wasn't just about the act of this bread or this cup that we're supposed to do. It's the life we're called to live. That's what we should do in remembrance of him. And this, this, this bread represented his life, his body, and that he broke for us. Like literally what he gave as he lived here. And the blood, the, the cup, this representation of his life poured out on that cross. What he achieved that no one else could. And so as we take these this morning, it's not just supposed to be a remembrance of, of the, the Last Supper. It's a remembrance of his life and his death. And I think all of us are called to live this way. I know we are. Luke 22, it says, He took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Father, just before we take this, bread together, God, we just ask right now, you would challenge every one of our lives, God, not just to be about ourselves and not just to be about the things that maybe the world wants us to make our lives about, but God, let us live a life in remembrance of you. God, train us in these first weeks of 2021, remind us and, and retrain us, God, what it means to follow you truly. God, because we don't want to be lazy Christians. We don't want to be, uh, in a sense, poor uh, you know, Christians that don't actually know how to do your work. God, we want to be trained to withstand the difficulties, the, uh, the adversities of life, and then not just for us to be able to stand up, but simply for our light to shine in a dark world. So God, as we take this, let us remember that this morning. In Jesus' name, let's take the, the bread. And it says, after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people in agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Jesus, we thank you for what you paid for on that cross. Jesus, we thank you that your blood is the only thing that gives us life. God, we thank you that you bridge the gap between us and the Father, God, that, that nothing can separate us from your love as long as we receive that gift. God, like Romans says, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything from on, in heaven or in hell below, God, nothing can separate us. God, we believe that today. And as we take this, this uh, symbolic just representation of what you poured out, God, remind us of how we're called to live and what you've done. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's take this together. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the challenge in our lives to stand in the midst of adversity, God. We thank you that you've given us the simple tools we need to, to train our spiritual selves, God, to train our lives to line up with, with what you've created us to be. And God, I pray that over these next few weeks that, that you would somehow bring us from a place of maybe where we've been, maybe sitting on the couch in a sense in, in, in our lives or in Christianity and, 
and just kind of sitting on the sidelines, God, but where we're in the game and we're being trained to be who we're called to be. To be a light in this world for people to see. To be a light in the darkness of a world that maybe feels darker than ever before, but really our lights are just supposed to be brighter. So Father, we thank you for what you're doing. God, we ask you to bless every person in this room, every person watching online. God, we ask just for your blessing and peace over their families and over their minds in the midst of everything that's taking place. And God, we ask for a refocus this morning on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have a wonderful day, and we will see you this week. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.